From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Defense Department may cancel the Jedi cloud contract if a judge upholds charges of political influence in the deal. An information paper the Pentagon sent to Congress Friday lays out two scenarios. One, if the court grants the department's motion to dismiss Amazon Web Services' complaint, and another, if it denies the motion. The paper says the DOD CIO's office would, quote, reassess JEDI if the court denies the department's motion to dismiss. The pandemic is driving an explosion in other transaction authorities at the Pentagon. New numbers in the Defense Pricing and Contracting Agency annual report show the Pentagon doubled the use of OTAs from $7.4 billion in 2019 to $16.3 billion in 2020. FCW reports $7.7 billion of the 2020 spending was for fighting the pandemic. Federal agencies that, quote, fund, conduct, or oversee scientific research will hire chief science officers, according to a new presidential memo. President Joe Biden writes in the memo that the office will support the use of science and evidence according to the provisions of the Foundations Act. NextGov reports the memo directs agencies to add scientific integrity officials, too. The General Services Administration is doing almost 100% of its work remotely. GSA's Chief Human Capital Officer Tracy Demartini told you on this program the agency's even onboarding its new political appointees remotely. David Shive is the Chief Information Officer at GSA. David, welcome. And uh, Tracy talked about the, the reason for that, that the ease with which she's been able to do that kind of onboarding. Uh, she attributed that to the uh, digital transformation effort that you and your colleagues in the IT shop have undertaken. How far along is that and what's still to be done, David? Francis, so uh, it, in classic IT, you know, you're never really done. So I'm not ready to say we're 80% done or 90% done. Um, good IT says you deliver in a continuous integration, continuous delivery model, and that's what we do here at GSA. What I will say is that the, the computing enterprise of GSA is largely digitized, um, but the maturity of that digitization of the GSA business enterprise um, is not where we want it to be. So uh, we're taking a long, hard look at uh, what we need to do to get the best digital outcomes across the entire business portfolio of GSA, uh, and we'll apply some effort to make that the reality. And a perfect example is um, we're able to onboard people uh, remotely without having, a, uh, having them come into the office. That's just good IT delivery, and that's just good business practice. We're looking for additional outcomes just like that. How do you evaluate the different outcomes across the enterprise that you need and prioritize them? Certainly, you don't have the money that you want to do everything at once. So how do you decide which one's next or which ones are next in the pipeline? Well, we work very closely with the businesses of GSA. Um, I like to measure things because I'm an IT guy, but frankly, business outcomes is the, the primary way that we measure here at GSA. So we work very closely with the businesses to say what's important to you, what's on your strategic roadmap, and how can we come in sharp alignment with you. But there are traditional ways that we assess. Um, you know, we take a look at what's going to provide the highest value business um, outcomes, and we focus our energies there. And we take a look at how the business of GSA is changing. For example, we've moved to a fully virtual environment. So in the last year, a lot of our attention was 
focused on making sure that our employees could be 100% effective regardless of where they work. We just flashed your CV up there, David, and you've been at GSA for a long time. You had the benefit to work under uh, Sonny Hashmi, your uh, predecessor as the uh, the CIO at GSA. Uh, Casey Coleman worked on digital modernization efforts when she was there a long time ago. What's the benefit that you think you have with that institutional knowledge that you, you, you know where the stuff is and you know what's been done over a, a historic period of time and not just the last couple of months or years? Yeah, you know, a, a CIO that has a strategic roadmap that's uh, aligned well with the business uh, roadmap of an organization um, generally it would be pretty valuable. And uh, to be able to do that over an extended period of time allows you to see kind of the ebb and flow of the business um, and uh, build a roadmap that recognizes that ebb and flow over longer periods of time. And having people like uh, Sonny Hashmi and Dave Zvinich uh, here is critically important. You know, at any time over my last five years of being the CIO, we've had between 10 and 15 CIOs working in GSA. There's one CIO in GSA, but uh, working in the businesses of GSA. And the great thing is they're able to come in, be impactful from day one. They're not afraid of using technology. As a matter of fact, they encourage the use of technology and the prosecution of their important business mission. And it creates really great partnership between the IT team and the business team when, when they're cognizant of technology and are big fans of use of tech. Yeah, it strikes me that, they, that you have an advantage in uh, not having to translate for someone uh, as uh, he or she comes in what's going on in the IT shop or what the potential solutions are. Uh, Sonny, for example, leading the Federal Acquisition Service, sat in your chair before you sat in it. So he has, a, uh, I would think, a pretty wide scope of visibility as to what he needs and what the potential solutions are. Absolutely, yes. 21st century business is tech laden, it's tech heavy. And if we can streamline and optimize the technology part of the discussion so that we're all speaking the same language, we can focus on the real, true, important mission, which is mission enablement of the federal agencies that we serve and of GSA so that we can best support the citizens we're serving. We just have a couple of minutes left, David. What do the next six to 12 months look like in your shop? What are the big uh, rocks that you need to move? Thanks. Well, I mentioned you know digital transformation. We've been doing that for a while at GSA, um, but we're gonna accelerate the transformation within GSA. Now, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, everything that we do is digital now. We have, uh, we don't deal with paper much anymore. Um, but what we're now doing is taking a look at the underlying business process to say, is it aligned so that we can um, work most effectively here in a uh, digital environment? Can we do analysis as work processes move through their life cycle? Can we apply augmentation and automation to those processes very elegantly? Can we analyze the effectiveness of transactions and work processes as they're moving through their life cycle rather than waiting to the end and then doing an analysis and then changing it? That's how 21st century business works and that's how we are setting ourselves up to work in GSA across all of our business portfolio. David Shive, a lot more I'd like to cover, but we're out of time. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, everyone. Up next, the timing couldn't be worse for a shrinking cyber budget at the Defense Department. Straight ahead on Government Matters, where the money's going and where it's not. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
Defense Department leaders warn if their budgets shrink, every area of operations will feel the impact. New research shows, though, that the department's spending on cyber is already going down. Tara Murphy-Doherty is chief executive officer at Govini. Tara, welcome back. Thanks for coming back on the program. And thanks for providing us with this research. We have a link to it at govmatters.tv slash resources. How is the budget for cyber shrinking? Is this real dollars? Is this proportional to the growth of the threat, to the growth of the demand of the, at the department? How, how, what are you seeing? We are seeing a flat line on cyber, which is a significant reversal of the that we've seen for really the foundation or establishment of cybercom in 2010, and especially in the period of time from fiscal year 2016 to fiscal year 2019, when DOD spending on cyber increased by over 153%. When you look now at the projected investments in cyber in DOD from FY 2019 through the end of the FIDIP 2025 at that point, you see not even uh, investments keeping pace with inflation, which we're expecting about 14% over that period and yet only expecting about 9% um, increase in cyber spending. So in the context of what's happening with overall budget trends, the reversal in terms of continued prioritization on cyber is really what's noteworthy. Do we, do we know if that's as a result of the maturation of some of the programs that were initiated under those big bursts that you referred to, or is this more uh, uh, because of the nature of the contraction overall or the expected contraction overall of the budget or some factors that we can't identify? Great question. And you hit on something in there that's really, really important. Defense leaders have a very difficult time tracking the progression or advancement of programs across different accounts. So with cyber in particular, we saw previously significant spending and significant spending increases in the S&T phases of the research, development, testing, and evaluation account. Essentially, that was DOD saying, we're going to do novel early stage research in the science and technology space to identify advancements in cyber. Now what we're seeing is a shift in the spending trends to later phases of the RDT&E account, which means the department is focusing more on prototyping and capability development in order to field operational systems, as well as potentially leveraging more mature commercial technologies. So what one of the things that DOD uses data for is to try and get a sense of are things progressing or are they actually changing course because the strategy isn't working and they need to inject something else into cyber in order to achieve mission objectives. So that's a description of where the money is going. Where is the money not going? What used to get money that isn't getting as much or isn't getting any anymore, Tara? Well, we're seeing a significant increase in workforce development on the cyber side. And so that's actually drawing funding away in some places from capabilities. That might be an okay shift. That might be a brilliant shift. Uh, but it's hard to tell without the ability to measure the return on investment in, in these cyber investments and across the board. And that's another area where the department is really looking to data to see if they can change course. We're seeing that decline as well 
in the S&T investments. And we're not seeing a commensurate increase in those later stages RDT&E spending or projected spending. And so the question becomes, again, will we be able to measure the outcome and the impact and the performance of where the dollars are actually going so that we know whether there's more efficacy out of injecting investment early on or in later stages or likely there's a balance that DOD is trying to strike. You kind of alluded to where I wanted to go next, which is the, uh, the emphasis, the increase in spending at the RDT&E level. I, I'm an amateur, so I would read that to mean they're kind of going back to the drawing board in some respects. Is that a fair way to look at this, or does this mean that they're potentially looking at new technologies that they haven't pursued before? You referenced the commercial tech and so on. Definitely always looking at new technologies. And, you know, as we see events like the solar winds hack and the extent of the breadth of impact of uh, that hack and, and cybersecurity incident on DOD and the rest of the federal government, it really shows that we need to continue to advance in this area. There are countries around the world, um, including Russia, including North Korea, that are very effective operators in cyberspace. And so in order to maintain the U.S. military advantage in this domain. We're going to have to continue to invest in novel technologies at the early stages. So let's hope those numbers, those investment numbers don't get too low, as well as looking to the commercial sector in order to achieve leapfrog technologies or game-changing kinds of impacts. We're also seeing significant investment in developed programs. And so uh, Unified Platform out of the Air Force, for example, is is a more than a hundred million dollar program focused on interoperability in cyberspace. And so there really is still a spread of investment across the board in order to achieve cyber strategic goals uh, that DOD has. And um, I think the question will be, is it enough? Tara Murphy Doherty, it's great research and I appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm Sharice Hanner. Government Matters is always one click away whenever you want to get the latest in the business of government. Like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, and connect with us on LinkedIn. While you're on the go, tune into the Government Matters podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn. Welcome back. The Biden administration is planning a whole-of-government approach to vaccine distribution. The White House says it will enlist the help of not just the public health agencies, but the Departments of Agriculture, Education, Labor, and HUD, too. Jonathan Album is Federal Chief Technology Officer at ServiceNow. He's former Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department. Jonathan, first of all, happy birthday. Is, uh, the, all <laughs> of the you. things one would do on one's birthday... Appearing on TV to talk about vaccines is probably not what I would expect to be at the top of the list. So I'm grateful that you, uh, you joined me today. What do you see as a whole of government approach working, given what we've talked about over the many years, about all the silos that are up between agencies? Well, you know, um, COVID-19 vaccine management is probably the most significant workflow challenge of our lifetime. You know, you're talking about processes that span all levels of government, federal, state, and local, all the agencies you described, plus the private sector, uh, the companies making the vaccines, the companies that are transporting the vaccines, the, um, the doctor's office, clinics, 
pharmacies. So when you take that together, you know, the, the scale is really unprecedented, I think, and the speed and flexibility that we require in order to um, be successful is, is really complicated. And we want to assure effective and, a, and an equitable um, distribution of vaccines. So I think what the Biden administration is realizing is that you can't go it alone and you can't, you know, just create a vaccine and then, um, you know, delegate operational um, uh, you know, authority for distributing it to to states without helping them. And that whole of government approach, I think, is really what it's going to take. We're all in this together. And to the extent that we're able to think about how all of the uh, data and how all of the work flows through this big process, we're going to get better outcomes and we're going to get more people vaccinated faster. I ask this as a genuine and not a cynical question. What do agencies like agriculture and HUD and others have to offer to the whole of government approach to help get the vaccines into people's arms quicker? Sure. So, you know, when when uh, the president, uh, you know, announced this this plan, he began by stating that FEMA would run 100 uh, federally operated vaccine centers. And those vaccine centers are going to be all over the country. And if you think about an agency like uh, the Department of Agriculture, there are 2,000 plus county offices all over all over the country. And while those county offices have employees that may not be clinicians, they do have a very strong connection into those rural communities. So there's a there's a way to uh, you know publicize the availability of vaccines. There's a way to uh, connect with people who who may be able to support um, those centers from uh, you know again an operational perspective because the plan also includes recruiting volunteers and others. So when you have a you know a strong touch in the community, I think that's a way to enhance the um, the processes that the administration is talking about. A lot has been made, Jonathan, about the digital transformation that agencies are undergoing. We heard about the one at GSA earlier in this program and others across the government. What opportunities are there to leverage the transformation elements that agencies have already undertaken? And what's the potential to be able to assess where agencies still need to go as a result of what maybe doesn't work as well as it should in this vaccine rollout? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really really great question. You know, um, it, it's clear after you know a few months of having the vaccine that our systems really need to be able to scale, and you know where they where um, you know we're being successful and how we are successful is about being able to go fast. And you know, in order to go fast, I think we have to rely on you know the platforms that we have in our organizations that um, have been successful that are secure and have elements of interoperability. Because when you think about the core uh, use cases that um, we need to be thinking about. If you think about one of those um, vaccine centers that you know I mentioned, the the people running that have to be uh, thinking about how they distribute vaccines, tracking uh, information that cuts across a lot of systems and a lot of agencies and levels of government, and then being able to administer vaccines, um, having people scheduled to be there, having the PPE available for them to. Uh, safely administer vaccines, be able to monitor uh, outcomes. Those are all activities where digital transformation can have, you know, a, a profound effect. We want to be using technologies and approaches that have a uh, human-centered design approach so they can be easy to interact with and, you know, connect data and systems that um, need to work together to make this successful. And that's on the, the management side. When you think about the, the, the side of the um, you know, the recipient of the vaccine, you know, they're worried about getting the right information. They have to be able to quickly interact with, um, you know, the, the vaccine distributors and get updates on their 
availability to get the vaccine, the availability of the vaccine itself and their eligibility, um, and also get notifications and updates. Uh, and this is a this is a two shot uh, course in, in in all cases at this point. And you know, I, I read a, a published report uh, recently that in Florida. Um, in the middle of January, there were 40,000 people who received dose one and had not um, received dose two on time. And, you know, was that because they they uh, they forgot or they weren't notified or didn't have the right information? We have to make sure those information gaps close quickly. Uh, so so those are all, you know, digital transformation opportunities that I think are very important as we as we push forward. A little bit more than a minute left, Jonathan. If you sat down with a, a federal CIO today and that person said, Jonathan, what can I leverage all of this as an opportunity to do that isn't necessarily pertinent to the virus or distribution of a vaccine or any of that, but is gonna benefit my organization five years from now. What would you tell that person to focus on? I, I, I think it's about making sure uh, data and systems are connected and work together. You know, they, there was another uh, report this week that there are 20 million uh, doses that are unaccounted for. They were distributed from federal distribution centers to states, and we don't know where they are at the moment. So that's just an example of how important it is to understand how the data moves through our systems in, inside our agencies. And to the extent that we can use these activities to uh, double down on um, the digital transformation that we're in, the understanding of our data, the understanding of their, our work and how those things you know, fit together, then you know, the work we're doing as IT professionals is uh, to, to, a, to a degree in alignment with the work that our scientists did to create you know, vaccines in record time. We now need technology and management solutions that go along you know, with this great achievement so we can get as many people vaccinated as possible as quickly as we can. Jonathan Album, thanks very much for joining me. Happy birthday. Thanks again, Francis. Great to be here. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast when you sign up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.